Uh, Tonight's reading is from Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshment may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. 
Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is God's word. Evening. My name's Phil. I'm the associate minister here. Let's, uh, let's pray and we're going to um, look at uh, God's word together before I get in trouble with anybody else. Our Father God, help us we pray as we look at your word together. Would you show us the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you help us to understand who he is and what he has done? That we might know with certainty that we can trust him in this world, in our lives, and forevermore. In his name we pray. Amen. Now look, if you like crises, then you have to say at the moment your cup does rather overflow. I mean, you know, there's uh, Ukraine. Is it going to be a nuclear war at the end? I don't know. Oh, can't, can't deal with the world out there. Let's just, you know, we've pulled up the, the drawbridges with Brexit. So we've just got our own country to worry about and everything's fine. Oh, no, no, not great here either. Uh, economy, anybody? Feeling confident you can pay your energy bills? What about, uh, forget that, uh, you know, thank goodness we live in the modern world and not in the ancient times when things like plagues raged around the world. New COVID, they keep saying, uh, just wait for winter. Big new COVID variant could well hit us. And then, of course, no one has a clue how to defend against Erling Haaland. It's the, uh, it is, ask somebody else if you don't. Um, look, yeah, jokes aside, he's a footballer. <laughs> The jokes aside, it is a pretty unsettling world, actually, you wake up to in the morning. As you look out, it doesn't feel very secure, very stable. Actually, I guess for a number of us, um, our issues are closer to home. It's less that when I look out the world, I think, goodness, what's going on? It's more that actually things in my own life, in my own relationships are pretty chaotic and nightmarish. There was a cartoon um, in the papers on Friday that summed up the way a lot of us apparently are feeling. I'm not sure if you can read it. You don't, don't worry about the text, but at the bottom is these rising dark floodwaters and it just says anxiety. And these two poor people sat on the roof being flooded with anxiety. That apparently is the way most people are feeling right now. So, okay, <laughs> where do you turn to deal with this? I mean, who has the wisdom, the power, the courage? Who do you look to when we're facing the crises we are? I guess, look, the truth is, in a group like this, there'll be different answers, and different groups of people would be bound to, to tell you to trust in different people. I mean, if, 
if you turn to Telegraph readers, they say, Churchill, we need Churchill back. Uh, I guess if it's Guardian readers, they're more likely to say, Mandela, we need Mandela back. You know, primary school, they'll tell you Batman. And um, he would solve some of the problems. Um, I'd like to see him take on Putin, that's for sure. But the answer of Acts 3 is, look, in a world of aching, real, physical need, the answer is Jesus. He is the answer to the struggles you face that worry you in your life right now. And I want to, I want to show you how Peter convinces us of this as we go through Acts 3. Now, we're in, um, we're in Acts 3, so Acts, uh, Luke's second volume, if you like, uh, historian Luke, charting the spread of the Jesus movement. As we've, as we've said each week, he's got three aims, really. He wants to show that the message of Jesus Christ is, one, credible, two, healthy for society, and three, that it, it spreads in really messy situations. So don't worry if things feel difficult today. And here, in Acts 3, Luke shows us, that the message of Jesus is the only credible hope for the world. It's a big claim. Let me show you. Firstly, uh, the apostles have power to heal. You'll see there's an outline on the back if you want to take notes or, or see where we're going. But if you keep the Bible open, we're going to work through. So chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So we join the action some weeks probably after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on Jesus' followers. And Acts 2.43, if you look just, uh, just before, it tells us that by the power of the Spirit, the apostles were performing many wonders and signs. What happens next is the only one Luke records. Clearly very important. Now, Peter explains the significance of it for us in verses 12 to 26 as he preaches to the crowds who've gathered. But the account itself, in verses 1 to 11, it stresses, well, three things really. The hopelessness of the situation, the immediate nature of the miracle, and the astonishment of the people. So verse 2. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. The man's been lame since birth, so whatever, at least 20 years, I'm guessing. So this isn't a condition that's just come upon him recently, and it's not something he's going to grow out of. His legs are useless. They always have been, and they always will be. Now, can you imagine the hopelessness of that situation at that time? There are no wheelchairs back then. There's no disability allowance, no social safety net. There's no knowledge economy, so although his legs don't work, you know, he can, he can be employed to use his mind. His only way of getting enough money to eat each day is to beg. And he can only beg if he can convince four strong friends to carry him to the temple gates where hopefully the sight of his shriveled legs and his plaintive looks will, will open the compassionate hearts of some of the worshippers who've come to pray. It's an utterly hopeless situation. Verse 6, Then Peter said to him, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This is only explainable as a miracle. This isn't some three-hour frenzied prayer meeting where someone no one knew was brought in the back and uh, I don't know what happened. And This is public, instant. And there's no months of physio afterwards so that totally withered muscles can get strong and and the joints can get used to bearing load. No, one moment he's lying on a mat. The next moment he's like a six-year-old with a sugar rush, charging around like a lunatic. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the, as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, men are supposed to be poor at multitasking, but it is no surprise here to find the the guy is able to both jump around like a human pogo stick and to sing and shout God's praises. He is so overwhelmed. And it's no surprise either, actually, that the crowd are filled with wonder and amazement and astonishment. Okay, great. So why is this the one miracle of all the many miracles in Jerusalem the apostles performed? Why is this the only one they record? Well, in part, because of the sermon Peter preaches afterwards, it may be that this was the most public miracle and and therefore the biggest crowd, who knows. But I think the main reason is because this healing is such an echo of a healing performed by Jesus, which Luke records in Luke chapter 5. Back then we read of a lame man being carried by his friends. We also read that he's healed instantly. And the crowd in Luke 5 are astonished and amazed and praise God, just as happens here. And just as here, the healing of the legs leads to a sermon about forgiveness of sins in the heart. And I think one of the main reasons that Luke records this is to remind us. He said in verse 1 of of Acts 1, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all Jesus began to do and to teach. And he's showing us Jesus may have gone back to heaven, but he is active. He is mighty. He is healing. Only now he's doing it by his spirit through his apostles. Okay, let's see uh, Peter's explanation. Verses 11 to 16. So verse 11. Uh, While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnades. So the human pogo stick is still uh, leaping around and shouting so loudly that people are gathering from everywhere. And Peter sees the crowd gather. And so he preaches to them. Verse 12. (coughs) When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Peter's first words were, look at us, look at us. But from this point on, it's look away from us and look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. 
It's not actually how leaders of brand new movements, and Peter is the leader of the new Christian movement. It's not how they usually behave. Don't look at me. Don't trust in me. I don't have the power. I don't have the answers. But like any genuine Christian minister, Peter points away from himself and always to Jesus. He carries on in the second half of verse 13. Talking of Jesus, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now Peter's audience, he knows his audience are well aware that the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, is rammed full of the awesome, mighty deeds of this God. But he declares, this God has glorified his servant Jesus. If you want access to the power of the God of the Bible... You need to look to Jesus. And he emphasises two things. This healing came by faith in the name of Jesus, verse 16. Twice in verse 16 he says it. Faith in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus by faith. Firstly, the name of Jesus. You can't miss the emphasis on the name of Jesus. Uh, The reason we read through um, to the first half of chapter 4 is because nine times in this little section... Peter speaks about the name of Jesus. What does that mean, the name of Jesus? Well, his name refers to his authority and his power. It's everything that he is is wrapped up in his name. And actually, we haven't got time tonight, but you might like to look later on when you're at home at all the different titles that are given to Jesus in this passage. The servant, the author of life, the holy one. All these different things that are summarised when you say the name of Jesus Everything that he is, all his authority, all his power. And you can see the link with his power in uh, verse 16, but also in chapter 4, verse 10, if you look over there. As the Sadducees, the, the, the council, grill the apostles, they ask, by what power or name did you do this? His name is his power. Now, it's really interesting, actually, that this emphasis on Jesus' name comes just after his ascension. And Paul explains why in a letter that he writes to the church in Philippi, in, uh, in this incredible uh, poem that he writes to them really at the, at the centre of, of Philippians 2, uh, if we can have it up on the screen. Um, Paul writes, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In other words, having poured himself out to the lowest of the low in death to serve and to save people like you and me, 
Jesus has been raised and crowned as the highest authority, the greatest power in the universe. Everything, everything is under his feet. Everything must bow before him. So when Jesus says, you are forgiven, then there is no higher court, no appeal judge above him who can overturn that verdict. You are forgiven forever. There is no situation that can be beyond his power and control. (coughs) When Jesus says to paralyzed legs, walk, sickness can't say, I don't submit to you. Everything is under him. It's not that, uh, well, Jesus is good for kind of religious stuff. So if you want forgiveness or you're feeling a bit ashamed, come to Jesus. But if you're sitting in Ukraine and terrified about war, well, there's no point praying to him. No, everything and everyone is under the authority of Jesus. He is the name above all names. So the name of Jesus is far more powerful than a lifetime of withered legs. And the moment that they speak in Jesus' name, the man is healed. There's a second part to what Peter says in verse 16. And that is that the healing came through not just the name of Jesus, but do you see faith in the name of Jesus? So the healing power of Jesus doesn't just fall like rain from the sky on everybody, whether they put their trust in Jesus or not. It requires faith. Now, we still get very, very confused about faith, this word faith. So let me explain. Faith is not a substance or a quality like courage. You know, I'm not very brave, but some people are very courageous and will tackle all sorts of dangerous things. You know, I haven't got much faith, but some people have got faith and they can believe anything. No, biblically, faith is more like an electrical plug. That's what faith is. It's like an electrical plug. Jesus is mains electricity. He is the power. And faith is just, I need, I need help, I need the power, so I plug into Jesus. Faith isn't a thing, it's just connecting to Jesus' power, connecting to him. I could plug into all sorts of other things. I could just say, I've got enough resources myself, faith in me, or I could trust in another ideology. But Christian faith is, is this, it's when I'm trying to work out uh, what the best source of wisdom to live by is, or when I'm afraid of death and I, I don't know where to put my hope, when I feel guilty for the things I've done and don't know who can, who can help me with my sins, when I'm feeling overwhelmed at some of the problems that I face, I plug into Jesus. I look to him. It's not a perfect illustration, but I hope it helps us see that there is, there is power in the name of Jesus. And faith is the thing that enables me with my need down here to connect with him, with his power up there. As I put my trust in him, I connect to his power. We can all access the life-giving power of the creator God through faith in Jesus. So there's a there are a number of um, students from Imperial and um, serious scientists at this church, uh, so I'll get in desperate trouble if I mention any words that have anything to do with science and I get out of my depth very quickly. But you know the principle of entropy. I mean, that's, that's kind of just common parlance. You know, basically, 
energy dissipates over time and things become more disordered and chaotic. Yeah, all right, I'm going to have a queue of people giving me technical definitions afterwards, whatever. Basically, that's the common understanding. Things just over time, they decay, they degrade, they disorganize. <coughs> and even things that get better over time, like a fine wine, eventually, they just get worse and they go off. Nothing lasts forever. Everything is tending to decay. And our physical bodies, they're they're living, breathing illustrations of entropy. And the older you get, the clearer that will become. Believe you me, I am walking entropy. But on the day Jesus was raised to to life from death, God put a a stick through the spokes of, of that cycle of entropy. No longer does everything degrade and get lower and worse. Jesus' resurrection reverses that. And you see, the power, the the miracles that Jesus and then his apostles perform, they're never just naked acts of power. It's not like, you know, well, I'm just going to make everybody levitate. That would have been a great miracle. I'm just going to fly. They're never just naked acts of power. They're always helping solve a situation of desperate need or suffering, alleviating suffering or meeting desperate needs. And what they do is they tell us what we know deep down and we've always hoped, which is that sickness and death are not the way things should be. But better still, they are not how things will be. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the miracles he and his apostles perform, they're like the show home for the new creation, the kingdom of God that Jesus is building. They say, look, if you put your trust in me, this is the kind of place you'll live in. A place of unending, physical, joyful, unfading, abundant life. And in Jesus, the power to set everything right has been released into the world. Now, things will not be perfect, whatever anybody says, until Jesus returns. But as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we trust in the one who has reversed death and walked out of the grave. The one who can say to withered legs, walk, to blind eyes, see. The one who can heal. And so I think the first thing I want to say to you is, This incident should give you hope. The the apostles walk into a concrete situation of desperate need. And they show Jesus has the power to to transform the most unbelievable, untreatable problems that our world has. And that same Jesus is alive and ruling today. We're not apostles with the authority that they had to determine exactly what happens when healings happen. But the same Jesus is alive and the same power is active. And let's now think uh, thirdly and lastly is about exactly what it means for us and, and what we should expect from him. <coughs> Eternal healing comes only through repentance from sin. Now, it's very interesting how this, um, how this plays out. I wonder, um, Scott, you couldn't grab me a cup of water, could you? Thank you. Now, if you're new to Christian things, you might be surprised at what happens next. 
what Peter says. Look at verse 17. Now, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how... um, This is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now that's odd. He doesn't say, so now bring all those who are sick and all who are crippled and let them be healed too. He says, so now come and have your sins dealt with. Now, at this point, some, I imagine, attempted to roll our eyes. Here we go again. There are all these serious real-world problems. You know, there are, I just think of four of my friends, paralysed in wheelchairs, dying from cancer, overwhelmed with debt, going through divorces. And the Christians, you say, put your trust in Jesus. He has the answers. But then when you press into it a bit, it's, well, actually, what Jesus will deal with is your sins. Those other things, they don't really matter so much, those physical problems. It's the spiritual thing you should care about. And Jesus, he deals with your sin, and that's the thing that you should really worry about. (laughs) You think, well, great. So you tell me Jesus answers my greatest problems, and then you say, but your greatest problem is something that you never were bothered about, and even now you struggle to care about. It just seems like, what? But that misunderstands things. God does tell us to focus on forgiveness of sin. But it's not because he doesn't care about the physical problems, the the relational issues, the debt, the the things that we are, are desperately aware of that we wish would be solved. God tells us to focus on the forgiveness of sins because until sin is dealt with, there will never be a lasting solution to the other things. Look at how um, Peter says repentance from sin leads to restoration of all things. Come back to the beginning of verse 19. Repent then, which, is, uh, which he then explains, turn back to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And then as he uh, continues his summary of the Old Testament in verses 22 to 26, he reiterates all the wonderful things God has promised in the Old Testament. They are fulfilled in Jesus. And the wiping away of sin unlocks access to all those blessings. He will restore everything, the Messiah Jesus. But, but why does it have to be that way? Why is it that you've got to have your sins forgiven before all the aching needs of our world can really be truly mended? Two reasons. One, sin is the root cause of all the misery in our world. And two, until our sin is gone, we can't be part of Jesus' kingdom. Firstly, sin is the root cause. Come back a stage. The Bible tells us the way things are is not the way things should be and it's not the way things originally were. God did not create a world with Alzheimer's and earthquakes and war and disease. What changed from the good world God had made was that humanity rejected God and we rejected his good, wise and loving laws. Now you can think of life in one sense as 
as a, a meal with a very, very specific recipe. Now, if you decide, yeah, I'm just going to ignore the recipe. I know it says use cooked chicken, but I'm going to use raw chicken. And I know it says uh, use carrots, but I found these very interesting looking fungi as I walked through the woods. Bright red, and they look great, so I'm going to chop them up and put them in. Suddenly, the recipe may not work so well, and people may feel a little bit wibbly if they eat your food. It's what humanity did when we turned away from God. He is the key ingredient to life. He is love. He is truth. He is justice. He is goodness. And if you reject the source of love and truth and justice and goodness, people are going to get sick when they eat that meal. And that's why Peter tells the crowd, seek forgiveness for sins rather than healing for physical ailments. Because sin is the root cause of all the misery in the world today. And there is no lasting solution to the problems that we wrestle with in our world until sin is sorted. We'll never be healthy while we keep eating poison. And so it's only when we repent, verse 19, when we turn back from our sins to God and seek his forgiveness and his power to change. It's only when in the name of Jesus, by faith, we lay hold of his forgiveness for our sins that we can have access to his healing and wholeness. That's why Peter concludes in verse 26. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Sin is the root of all that's miserable. But secondly, uh, sin must be dealt with because God cannot allow us into his new world if there is still sin in us. God has got to keep sin out of his perfect new world. And imagine this. Imagine if there's some nasty disease spreading through the whole world. Imagine that. And, but imagine that the symptoms of this particular disease are that it makes people aggressive and greedy and dishonest and violent and selfish. I know Londoners thinking, I'm not sure I noticed the difference between most of the people I encounter on my commute. But imagine it made people really, you know, off the charts, nightmarishly aggressive, violent, selfish, greedy, dishonest. But there's one island in the world which is free of the disease. And what's more, the scientists on this island, they've, they've worked out a cure for it as well. And somebody arrives at the border begging to come in. I just hate living with my life ruined by these violent, aggressive, nasty, selfish, dishonest people. It's just so horrible. Please, will you let me in? So, sure, we'd love to let you in. You need to get the disease cured from you first, though, before you can come in. Well, look... I'm not really keen. I mean, I don't have the disease badly. It's barely made much of a difference to me. I've only got very, very mild symptoms. It's not like I'm causing trouble for anybody else. I don't want that. I just want to, to come in and avoid all the, all the misery and the pain and the, and the mess that's going on with everybody hurting and, and killing and beating around me. What are they going to say? <laughs> no chance. If we let you in, you'll just spread the disease. And this perfect place will be ruined. You can't come in until the disease is taken out of you. And the Bible teaches that that disease is sin. All of us are infected. 
And we say to God, God, please would you sort out this issue in my life? Please would you deal with that issue? Please would you? And God is making a perfect new world. And he does want you in there. But we can't come in unless we're willing to let God get rid of our sin. And Jesus willingly came and died on the cross so that your sins could be washed away and your guilt paid for in full. And unless we come now to Jesus for the healing and cleansing that he offers each of us, then we cannot then enter his perfect paradise when he returns. So the crowd here, this uh, incredible offer that Peter makes, uh, the transformation of the world through Jesus, and they can be part of it if they'll turn from their sins. And in uh, chapter 4, verse 4, we hear that um, the, the size of the church grows. There's now about 5,000 men. Goodness knows how many women and children as well. But it's growing and growing and growing. I don't know how many exactly are in the worldwide church today, but if you've never done it, why don't you join tonight? All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus as the one who has paid for your sins and look forward to his return when he will restore everything. And his resurrection, his resurrection assures us that will happen. Put your trust in him and you walk out of here forgiven. It's a pretty good deal. If you've done that already, then, then don't despair no matter what you face in life because you've got the assurance that this life, as bad as it sometimes is, is the worst you will ever face because already Jesus has risen. And every day you wake up is a day closer to the day Jesus returns and restores everything. So hold on and put your faith in the name of Jesus. But I have to say, hold on and put your faith in the name of Jesus is an empty mantra unless you fill your mind with who Jesus is. And so that's why, and follow the advice of the student interviews. Get stuck into church, into small group. Read your Bible daily. Fill your mind with who Jesus is, what he has said, what he has promised, so that you can pray to him. You can bring him your struggles and your trials. And when you pray in his name, you know how rich and awesome that name is. And encourage others too. We need the help of one another if we're going to cling to Jesus through the struggles of this world. Don't just tell them to hang in there. Encourage them with truth about this Jesus. Hold on and hope. But also follow Peter in holding out hope to others once you are holding on to hope. There is no other name given under heaven by which people can be saved than the name of Jesus. There is no way to receive the forgiveness and healing Jesus alone can bring except through faith in him. So invite others so they can join us. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you and praise you that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we find forgiveness for sins and one day we will find healing for everything that ails us. Help us, we pray, to come to Jesus now to rejoice that he takes our sins away and to look forward in faith to the day when he will take away every cause of suffering and we will join him forever in glory. In his name we pray. Amen.